Well, I, I don't know if you have a time in your life that you remember uh, somebody being astonishingly kind, in fact, over-the-top kind to you. Um, in 2018, Laura and the kids and I were in Vancouver, BC for a few weeks serving a church up there, and we had a day off, and so uh, we thought, well, why don't we, why don't we borrow a car, and we'll drive down across the border, and we'll get down to Seattle and just hang out down there for a day. Now, I knew a few things um, as we set off. The first thing I knew was that the car was pretty old and um, the battery particularly was not in great shape. I I knew that the car didn't really have much fuel in it, but Google told me that it was only 20 minutes down to the the border and then I'd be able to go across the border and instead of having to like remortgage my house to fill up with gas in Canada, I could fill up in Seattle, which was a little bit better. Um, And so we we set off down to the border, and about a couple of miles from the Canadian border, we saw this massive great sign above the road, and it said, one and a half hours, like, uh, delays at the border. Um, But because I grew up in the age of Google, I didn't believe the sign, I believed Google, and I carried on, uh, only to find about another half a mile up the road this, this huge line of cars, three lanes of cars completely stopped. Um, And it was about that point I realized I was in really serious trouble because I realized I could either leave the car idling for an hour and a half, in which case all the polar bears would die and we'd run out of gas, or I could turn the car off every time we stopped, in which case it might not start again. So I start, sat there for a couple of minutes like wondering what to do, and after a couple of minutes, I've got to turn the car off. So I turned the car off. Waited, traffic started to move, turned the key, like nothing. No, not even a light on the dash, like literally nothing, completely stuck. And there's like three lanes of traffic, people are starting to like honk their horns, Canadians are generally more polite, but we'd obviously tested their patience beyond what was allowed, and they were like honking their horns, Laura's looking at me in the car going like, Ben, this happens every time we go on vacation, and the kids in the back are getting angry, so I thought, okay, all right, so I got out of the car, like stopped all the traffic, pushed the car across the three lanes into the this parking lot, which just so happened to be alongside the, the freeway. It was like one of those like, duty-free stores that sells you know, perfume and makeup and, and stuff like that. And so I, I ran into this store looking like some sort of mad British tourist, saying, I'm so sorry, um, does anybody have any jumper cables? Like, does anybody have a car I can borrow to jump my car? And everyone was just looking at me like, you're mad, and like, just avoiding me. Until I found in the corner of the store this this lovely uh, sales assistant. And you know that you can always spot like a sales assistant in stores that sell perfume and makeup. Because they the way that they sell their perfume and their makeup is that they wear all of it at once. See that? And I could, I could see under about 47 layers of makeup, this very short uh, Irish lady. And I said, I'm really sorry, I'm far from home, can you help me? She said, ah, to be sure, to be sure. Actually, she didn't say that at all. I've got, I've got this. And so she started like, going around the store, literally going up to customers and saying, like, do you have any jumper cables? And they must have thought this is a very strange way to sell makeup. Um, but they, they, they were just like, okay, okay, I don't know. And after five minutes, though, she came back triumphantly uh, with, in one hand, a set of jumper cables, and in another hand, a set of car keys. And we went out to the parking lot, 
And I thought, you've gone far enough. You know, you've done enough. She said, no, no, I've got this. So she pulled up the hood of her car. She pulled up the hood of my car, which was just greasy and dirty and dusty. And she's like glamorously decked out with makeup. And then she's like in under the the hood of the car, like in there with the jumper cables. And she's revving up my car and revving up hers. and, And miraculously, the car started. And we made it across the border that day. I don't know that lady's name. All I will, will refer to here as the Irish saviour of the world, because she changed, she, she kept us going that day. But that idea of, of helping, loving, serving is what we're getting to today as we continue in our next bit of the, the vintage mission statement. And last week we, we, we had this idea of, of, of extent the breadth, the beauty of what Jesus wants to do in the world through churches like ours. And we talked about how you know, he, there's no inch of the world that God doesn't want to bring redemption and healing and transformation to. And, and I'm you know, super grateful to you guys because even this last week, uh, we've had a team from Vintage in Mexico. I've got a little picture of the guys here yesterday. Uh, we got back, some of us last night, and some of them are coming back today, uh, being involved in medical clinics, dental clinics, being preaching the good news of Jesus, working with children out in rural Mexico. Some of you guys have been out working with the homeless communities this week. Some of you have been serving in educational institutions. Just incredible how you guys are already working missionally, and I love that, and thank you for that. But we also know that if we talk about mission, we talk about what God wants to do in the earth. Like there is one thing which is more important than anything else. There is one topic that is more important than everything else. There's one more concept that is more important than anything else, which is this, that above all else, God wants to have a relationship with you. That God, who created you to be his child, wants your sins to be forgiven wants any barrier between you and him to be removed so that actually you might have a fueled, Holy Spirit-fueled, sins-forgiven, loving relationship. And not only does he want it for you, but he wants it for everybody, every human being. And that's why in our mission statement, we include this sentence. We create welcoming spaces for people to explore faith. We equip our church to build redemptive relationships and we see people regularly come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of who we are and what we exist for. So we're going to have our our reading this morning, uh, which is going to be from John 1, 43 to 51. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got it on a smartphone, John 1, 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you 
while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Kerb. So if you know the start of these four Gospels in the Bible, you know that they often start with phrases like, come follow me. Jesus is traveling around this area around Galilee and, and he meets these young people and he's like, come. And sure enough, in, in verse 43, you see this interaction with this young guy called Philip. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, I assume there were some other words that were spoken in the conversation, but there's something in that statement which is literally this. Get up, leave behind your old life, walk with me into a new adventure. And, and for Philip, who we, we don't know exactly much about him, we, we know he's from Bethsaida, we know he's a, a young Jewish guy, we know he goes on to become one of the apostles of Jesus. It's a life-transforming moment. It changes absolutely everything about who he is. But what's kind of interesting about this little interaction, which we just read, is that the very first thing that Philip does when his life is transformed, when he encounters Jesus, is that he runs to find his best friend. And his best friend is this, this young guy called Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, depending on which, which um, uh, gospel you're reading it in. Another guy, young guy, we don't know too much about it. But he says to him, we have found the one. We found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom all the prophets also wrote. Philip says to Nathaniel, you and I have been searching our whole lives for the one. We've been reading, we've been looking, we've been trying to figure it out and we have finally found him. His name is Jesus. Come and meet him. And that's really the heart of this statement that we have in our mission, which is that if you love Jesus, if you have been transformed by Jesus, if you have been healed by Jesus, then implicitly that means sharing that love with other people. Sharing that love. It's super interesting to me, you know, there's so much that's different about this age that we now live in, 2022. But one of the things I've, I've noticed is that this is definitely the age of the personal review and the personal recommendation. Um, a few, few months ago, Laura said to me, hey, Ben, we need a new vacuum cleaner. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, what's wrong with the one I bought you for $20 off um, the internet when we first arrived in LA? She says, look, Ben, I know that you've never used it, but it does not work. Like, we need, we need a new one. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. You know, we men sometimes get a bit, you know, in, in, engrossed in these kinds of projects. So I thought, I'm going to find the best vacuum cleaner I can. And I thought, if I find a robotic vacuum cleaner, not only can I nerd out on programming it, it also means I never actually have to push it as well. So I went on the internet and I started, like, on Amazon, as you do, you know, you put in robotic vacuum cleaner. And, like, a thousand robotic vacuum cleaners come up in front of you. Like, you have no idea what to do. 
And, and you can remove some of them immediately. You know, like, that one's $1,000. Like, blatantly, like, no, no to that one. Like, that one looks absolutely awful. But in the middle, you've got, like, 500 left, which all look exactly the same. And I'm like, I've never heard of any of these brands, and I don't know anything about them. So, of course, you start to, like, scroll down the pages, right? And you have all those glossy photos and the, the bullet points and the charts, and you're like, I, I don't know what any of this means. And then, and then you just... If you're like me, what do you do? You, you, know, you, you just keep scrolling down. Because the really good bit on the page of Amazon is not all the things that the manufacturer says. The really good bit is at the bottom with what people say. Now, we should point out, as you all know, like Amazon reviews generally are not conducted by professional people who have any you know, engineering ability, technological ability. You know, this is not what they do for a job. These are just the people who have an opinion. But it's exactly what you want, isn't it? You know, I am trying to scroll through these pages to find the very person who is like me. The person who has a house, maybe like my house, has a situation like my house. And what I'm really wanting to find out is, does it work for you? And if it works for you, then I'm in a good place to say it might work for me. Now, I imagine we don't just do that on Amazon. Right? Uh, you know, when I came to LA, when I needed somewhere to find a good coffee shop. You know, I, I didn't look up like the, you know, the best 10 coffee shops in LA according to Baristas International. No, I went to see my friends and said, hey, where do you get coffee? Or you go on Yelp and you're like, like where is the five-star place to get coffee? Like, in our age, we are deeply suspicious about authority figures. We're deeply suspicious about the party commercial line. But don't we love it when someone says to us, this is what works for me. And so it's going to work for you too. I wonder, let's just be, be honest for a minute. How many of you have given a personal review for a product or a service or a place in the last couple of months? Okay, the rest of you are lying. No, not really. But you have. Okay, how many of you have received and acted upon a personal review or an online review for something? Great. Yeah, probably, probably most of us. But isn't it supposed to be the case that we're supposed to do that with Jesus too? Let me ask you another question. How many of you have had your life changed by Jesus in some way? Okay, you're in the right place this morning. It's good. Now let me ask you another question, and don't put your hands up. How many of you in the last couple of months have shared a personal review or story or testimony about Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him recently. How challenging is that as I was thinking about this week? I think personal friendship evangelism is going to be the thing that defines our churches, defines our churches over the next few years. And let me show you why. Some of you will have seen these old, very ugly slides, but they've super helped me anyway. So if you were to go back to the 1950s, 1960s in a place like Pasadena, and you were to say, what, what do people think about Christianity? You would have generally found people would have said that Christianity is popular, People are inquisitive about it. There was a huge amount of respect for the church, for pastors. It was considered to be relevant. It was considered to be true. Jesus was a central figure in what it meant to be an American. 
But in terms of evangelism, in terms of sharing faith, generally what we really needed was we needed to help people take what they already broadly knew to be true and get that personal revelation of forgiveness and salvation and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, people like Billy Graham did an incredible work in those massive, great, like, missions. You know, the renewal meetings, the street missions, the four spiritual laws, they were all geared to help bring that point of conviction so somebody would find salvation in Jesus. But if you forwarded, forward on to around the turn of the millennium, 80s, 90s, 2000s, actually things had changed, like, quite a lot. In somewhere like Pasadena, you know, Christianity would have still been popular. It was still being inquisitive. It would have still been respected. But there's probably also this like growing sense that it's kind of boring. It's like with the age of MTV and the internet, like why go and sit in a pew on a Sunday morning? And also it maybe just doesn't seem quite as relevant as it once did to this massively fast-changing world. And, and why is Jesus God when my neighbor who believes in Buddha or New Ageism or Muhammad, why, why, is, why, is, why are they wrong and I'm right? And so we needed like something that was significantly more than like just a moment of conviction, right? We needed to be able to prove that Jesus really is the Son of God. So we, we had, you know, these, the case for Christ by Bell, um, who read that? Lee Strobel. Yeah, you read that. We had these, you know, we had seeker-sensitive services to say we can have like noisy music and lights and things as well. And that was really good. But if you force, fast forward to today, so, you know, 2022, the world is radically different again, isn't it? The world, everything has changed and is still changing really fast. The very nature of what is true now is not the same. Truth is experiential. Christianity is not, if you go and talk to an average young person out on the streets, something to be respected, it actually might be considered like part of the problem. Many people, and we've seen it massively in the pandemic, have walked away from the church. In fact, if people have big questions, they're statistically much more likely to go and find a Google search or a new age kind of source than they are to find a church. And so we need something different. We need something greater than just an institutional level approach to helping people find Jesus. Now, I know that that feels a bit scary. You know, when we, we look around and we see even friends that we've known who, who don't seem to want to have anything to do with Christianity anymore, we, we can want to sort of like retreat in on ourselves and say, well, maybe like Jesus is no longer relevant. But I want to tell you this morning, I tell you that people have all of the same needs, longings, the desires for meaning and healing and purpose and truth that they have always had. And I will also tell you that the answer to their longings is Jesus. The answer to the longings that I have had in my life is Jesus. The answer to where we find truth and belonging and healing is in Jesus. And actually, we don't need to be worried if our friends don't instinctively think that this is where they're going to find the answers. You notice what uh, Philip speaks to Nathaniel, and he's like, we found it. 
He's here, come and have a look. And you know what Nathaniel says? Like, no way. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now that's racism. But, but it's, it's different in a way of saying like, well, nothing good's gonna come out of your church. Nothing good's gonna come out of Christianity. But yet, do you see what Philip does? And what he does is absolutely genius. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Philip says this, come and see. Come and see. Philip does not have a fantastic theological exposition of why Jesus is Lord. Philip has not figured out everything that he needs to figure out in order to go through the steps to lead this person to Jesus. But look what he does. He says this, come and meet Jesus for yourself. And I think, church, this is the age that we live in. The most powerful tools that we have for evangelism in our culture today is you, is me. And you might feel good about that. But let me show you why I think that is. We are the people who are supposed to signpost, invite, speak of the very hope that we have in Jesus Christ and invite people to taste and see that God, God is good. Now, I know that in society it's like, oh, but that's, like, that's proselytizing. You know, it's got that really negative connotation now, hasn't it? But I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the way? Do you believe that he is the truth? Do you believe that he is the life? And if you believe those things and that no one comes to the Father except through him, then actually the very most loving thing that we have to offer to those around us is Jesus right? You know, we don't say, oh, you mustn't tell anyone what your favorite restaurant is because that's proselytizing restaurants. No, we say that's really kind. That's a really great thing to do. We don't say don't proselytize Amazon products. Well, maybe we should. But we say, actually, tell us what you believe. And I want to tell you that there are people outside of the doors this morning who are waiting for somebody to tell them where the way, the truth, and the life can be found. And it's in, it's in Jesus. You know, my prayer is that one day this place will be absolutely rammed full of people. And it's not because we finally persuaded everybody that they need a pastor with a British accent. Like that's, that's not going to be the strategy. <laughs> but it's because your friends and my friends and your family and my family and your college mates and no, I don't have college mates and your college mates <laughs> will be sitting worshiping the one who changes lives. People will come to faith through you. Now, I know that's, I know that's really scary. It's like, man, I, don't put it on me, Ben. We pay you to do this. Like, don't put it back on me. But let me tell you like, how this might work. And let me tell you why I think this is such a good thing. The first thing you need to know is this. Like, God is already working. He's already working in your friends and family. Not only is he already working, he already knows them intimately. You notice what Jesus says of Nathaniel. When Nathaniel finally comes, he says, I saw you, Nathaniel, while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now that's not voyeurism. That is a prophetic statement of God's knowledge of each one of us. 
What Jesus says to Nathaniel, he says, I know you. I have always known you. This is what God says of every single human being. It's an echo of Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. For you knit me together in my mother's wounds. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's true of me. That's true of you. But that intimate, wonderful knowledge is true of every single human being. That God is waiting, God is longing for every human being to turn to him. I love that. And when they come, this is what Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. So, so actually God is already working in your friends. God is already working in your college. God is already working on your street. So what might we do? Well, here's a few things you might do. Number one, maybe, maybe you might ask the question, like, who are those people that God has put in my life for a redemptive relationship purpose? Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, who are the very people that God has put you next to to bring the good news of Jesus? Now, some of you, you've got a massive advantage here because you hang out with non-Christians all the time. Like maybe, maybe they're your friends, maybe they're your family, maybe the people that you live with, maybe they're, maybe they're your sports team. Like you already are surrounded by non-Christians, which means you're like 10 steps ahead of some of the rest of us who are very surrounded by Christians. And I work in this place, so I know what that feels like. But who are the people? You can ask God, God, who have you put in my life who is ready to hear the good news of Jesus? Number two, what you can do is you can pray. There's a great phrase, which I think is so important, which is this. Don't talk to your friends about Jesus until you've talked to Jesus about your friends. Don't talk to your friends about Jesus until you've talked to Jesus about your friends. Because sometimes we can get so overwhelmed with the idea of evangelism because we just like panic and think like, what if they ask that question? Like, how would I answer that? They don't want to know anything about this. I don't know what to do. And we think like, basically it all depends on us. And yet the wonderful thing of the story that we just read is that nothing depends on us other than our willingness. It's an invitation to come and meet Jesus. So we pray. And I tell you that there's one prayer I know that God answers more than any other prayer. You know how it goes? God, would you give me an opportunity to speak of you today? God, would you give me an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus It's a prayer which is very dangerous, but God seems to always want to answer it in our lives. So we pray. And then thirdly, we go and we have to be brave. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. We have to be brave. Um, We were in, as you saw that picture a minute ago, we were actually in Mexico this time yesterday, and we were out in this, this rural area. And we were outside this, this big uh, rural hospital and we were doing eye surgery. I wasn't doing eye surgery because that would be really bad. But people were doing eye surgery. And we were doing this kids program and this evangelism program and we just had a bit of a break 
in the morning. And so we were, we were just kind of like hanging around for a few minutes, but there was probably like 50, 60 local people all just waiting quietly, talking outside, waiting for their eye appointments. And this, this young guy walked up the street and just walked into the middle of the crowd and, and started preaching. And I thought, like, this is a bit weird. It's like, he, I don't recognize him. He doesn't, I don't think we invited him. I don't think he's like a pastor, right? Like, where did he come from? But he stood there in the middle of all these people and he just started preaching. Um, and then after, after a while, he sort of like paused and, and walked over to us. And I, and I sort of said, you know, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, what are you doing here this morning? He said, oh, you know, I was, I was just on my way to the hospital myself for an eye appointment. And um, I just saw a group of people. And, and, and I just thought I'd better tell them about Jesus. <laughs> so he literally walked up to these people he had no idea about. And he just preached to like 50, 60 people. And I thought, wait, I said, where did you learn to do that? Oh, he said, oh, you know, my, my dad taught me that this the most loving thing that you can ever do to someone is to tell them about Jesus. So I've grown up that anywhere I go, if I go to a parking lot or if I go to like a, outside a hospital, I just tell people about Jesus. And it's amazing. Now, I was just a little convicted <laughs> about the fact that some of my friends don't even know that I'm a Christian. There are family members who think that I'm a Jehovah's Witness, I think. Like... We have to be brave. Jesus, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. You know, the problem is not that people aren't desperate to hear of Jesus. It's just that we don't know how to tell them anymore. You know, I, a friend, Laura and I, got the privilege of bringing to Jesus a few years ago. And, and she said to me a few times, you know, Ben, I was waiting for years for someone to tell me about Jesus. I was just waiting and no one told me about Jesus. It is the very most loving thing that we can do is to share Jesus. In fact, I want to even go so far as to say that it's unloving to not tell people about Jesus if Jesus has changed our life. I had this um, story of a kind of a famous Australian uh, preacher now, but he said that when he was at college, he was a Christian, but his best friend was not a Christian. And for three, four years, you know, they played sports together, they hung out together, went to parties together. And at the end of college, you know, they went, they went their separate ways. And quite like, independently, the guy not being a Christian, he, he came to faith in Jesus. And many years later, they, they, they came back together for a reunion. And, and the non-Christian friend said, he, he'd been a non-Christian, he said, oh, mate, it's so good to see you. It's so wonderful that you're here, but let me just, let me just I want to ask you something. I want to get something off my chest. Like, all those years that we knew each other, where we shared everything, where we lived together, all of those years, you knew that God was real. You knew that Jesus could take away all of the pain and all the suffering and all the guilt and all of the shame in my life. You knew that. And not once did you ever tell me anything about it. I thought you were my friend. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. How easy is it for us as Christians to feel like this? Oh, they don't want to know. They don't want to hear they don't think it's cool. I'm going to look stupid if I tell anything. Oh, it's much easier if I do nothing. And let me tell you this. That 100% is the voice of the enemy. 
That is the voice of the devil telling you to shut up and sit down. The invitation of Jesus. It's not that we're all evangelists, but all of us can give an answer for the hope, a recommendation for the hope, a review for the hope, an invitation to the hope of Jesus Christ. Now I can see in your eyes that some of you are still looking at me like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. This is too scary. This is too much. So how, how might you do this? And now let me tell you that there is a really bit of good news for you is that we, we have discovered at Vintage a way to do this very, very straight, simply, and it takes all the pressure off you. And it's called Alpha. It's called Alpha. Now, Alpha is a course, but it's actually really eight dinners. Eight really good dinners with a nice drink. It's eight dinners where you come, and with, a whole bunch, with all the other people who have come, on a Tuesday evening, and you watch a 20-minute video. And in the 20-minute videos, it talks about one of the aspects of the Christian faith. But here's the beauty. At the end of it, you just sit around with all the people you came with or the other people who came, and you just talk about the things that you feel, about the things that you believe, about the things that you've grown up to believe. And guess what? No one preaches to you. No one tells you that you're wrong. No one does anything really awkward and Christian and weird and like, you know, prays over you in the funny language or anything like that. None of that happens. And you just have a great time. And what we find every single time we do this is that people come who'd never met Jesus before and they hear about Jesus and they meet Jesus and they want to know more and after eight weeks, suddenly, they're in love with Jesus. That's what happens. And the great thing is, you don't even have to explain anything. You don't have to have the answers for anything. All you've got to do is bring your friends to the very first night. And the good news is, almost like we planned it, the first night is on Tuesday. And it's here. And it's at seven o'clock. And all you've actually got to do is say to your friend, hey, we've got this cool thing going on called Alpha at church and we've got a jazz band and we're just going to have like Stonefire Grill and, and a drink and we're going to be in one of the cool rooms and would you like to just come and hang out with me for one evening? That's actually all you have to do. And what we will do on Tuesday night is say, we hope you had a great time. Would you like to come back next week? And that's all we're going to do. And my prayer is, church is that we would see many people come to faith. Many people come to faith. And so as I close, um, I'm just going to ask you to respond in a number of ways. So maybe this morning, uh, maybe, maybe you're here and like, I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know if, know if I would call myself a Christian. And if that's you this morning, I, I want to invite you to come on Tuesday night. I want to invite you to come to Alpha and hear about this Jesus, the one who brings transformation. And we want to provide a space for you. Maybe you're like new to church or, or, or you've been a Christian a while, but you're like, actually, I've still got some really big questions. Like, I'm not entirely sure I know what I believe about some stuff. And in which case, even if you'd call yourself a Christian, but you have those questions, we would love you to come on Tuesday night. But for the rest of us, he might be your Nathaniel. 
He might be your Nathaniel. He might be one person who you could message and say, hey, would you come and hang out with me on Tuesday night for this launch of this thing called Alpha?